Welcome to Campfire Conversations, coming to you from the shores of Lake Michigan in beautiful Arcadia, Michigan, with your host, Ryan Tonetti, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church here in Arcadia, Michigan, and co-host, Chit May, executive director of Camp Arcadia. We get together to have the kind of conversations you have around the campfire with friends. It is so easy in our busy lives to forget what really matters, but the campfire, the campfire is a place where we make space to talk about things that count and to remember that we've been made for more. So grab a seat and join us around the campfire. Hey, this is Ryan Tanetti, joined as always by my host in waiting, my... The co-host. Thank you, Ryan. Well, I didn't want to say co-host. You don't like that term. My fellow host, Chip May. And we're joined around the campfire by Mr. David Zoll. Dave, it's so good to have you with us. Really fun to be here. This, what a, what an incredible time it's been at Camp Arcadia. We want, I got so many questions for you, and uh, I think what I want to do is kind of start us out big picture, thinking about, because you do a lot of work in terms of the interface of our Christian faith with culture, with pop culture. And that's, again, one of those slippery terms that people throw around. What do they even mean by culture or pop culture? So let's just kind of start there. What is um, culture and, and why is it important for Christians to be interacting and interfacing with, with popular culture? Well, I mean, th- there's lots of different definitions of culture. I mean, I, you can go with one that's sort of just like it's what people do. Mm-hmm. It's what it's the, what they make of the world, you yeah. know. It's what uh, out of, in 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 any sense, you know, with the the tools that they make, the art that they make, the language they make, the mess that they make. <laughs> um, but uh, pop culture, you know, it's 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 generally, I think, used as a, a slightly pejoratively, yeah, like um like it's less than culture. But again, more and more, we're pop culture in the age of the internet has become instead of being a monoculture like what everyone's watching the same four channels all the time yeah. there's like you know a gazillion streaming services and uh, i think i think popular culture is simply the stuff that humans make that gets really popular sure. and the reason why as in christians we engage with it is because we're human beings mm-hmm. and so we're making culture ourselves mm-hmm. in any way and plus like um there is no injunction to engage with this stuff, meaning to watch movies, to watch television, to read books or uh, stream podcasts even. Sure. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, we're all given interests and, you know, certain things resonate with us and the they kind of... Uh, it's very, I think, important to figure out what 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 it, what does interest us, what does get us going, what touches our heartstrings and why. Mm-hmm. And these are all questions that I think... Uh, Lead, can lead directly to you know deep you know discussions of philosophical, theological, anthropological, just emotional, psychological um, you know realities. So um, yeah, I, the reason I, we talk about pop culture with Mockingbird and it's we didn't set out to do pop culture mm-hmm. engagement because a lot of times I think in Christian circles it's sort of uh, it, it tends to be like hey you know, secular world, uh, we like what you like, so now I want to tell you about what I like. Um, or we try to create a, our Christian version of that thing. Uh, the reason we talk about it simply is because that's where I live, you know. Mm. Uh, I do watch television. I do listen to music. And so if I'm going to talk about my faith mm-hmm. 
and uh, God's grace and, you know, the judgment of, uh, you know, uh, the, the pain of living and the condemnation of the law, all these things. How can I not engage it's got to meet me where I'm actually living and where I'm actually living is I'm watching Seinfeld. I'm, 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 I'm crying at, you know, the end of Avengers end game, you know, or I'm, I don't know what it is, but, uh, I don't see my faith as somehow, you know, absent or it's the language, the language of pop culture is often the language with many of like for me. And I think for you guys who we kind of grew up in the eighties and, um, that's our language a little bit. It's our shorthand. Those are our references and we can pretend that they're not, Hmm. But they really are, mm-hmm. um, and we so, can redeem them in a way. Uh, maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. They're cultural things. I don't know if they need to be redeemed. We people need to be redeemed. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we can. Uh, we can figure out what it is that, we, that drew us to to such and such things. And there's a lot of bonding. I think, especially among men, we we have common interests, and um, there's a lot of bonding that goes on through shared uh, interest and in, in in things so i don't really i'm not trying to i i i've been told over the years that some of what mockingbird's done is help give people a lens for watching something uh and seeing what what is it trying to tell us about human nature about the world and maybe even about god and i'm psyched when that's the case but what i really want the work with mockingbird to do or any of my work is to really um talk about what god has to do with you hmm. you know as a person and because you're a person that watches television and listens mm-hmm. to music well then then those are going to be the places where i am then i can't really talk about mm-hmm. these things divorced it can't just be like the 16th century i'm talking about or right. the fourth century or the first century mm-hmm. i don't know when you talk about that lens that we have and um, and looking at whether it be watching movies, reading books, listening to music, etc. And as uh, Lutherans, we talk about having kind of a law and gospel lens on the scriptures, and, and sometimes even on the on the world. When you look out at the the mass media and popular culture today, do you see more? Um, what would you say? Kind of hints and whispers of of the law or of the gospel i mean when you when you kind of watch things what do you tend to pick up on more what do you think is more prevalent uh reflections of of the law or maybe um intimations of of the good news i think you could definitely see echoes of both and even glimpses of both um the law is kind of the air we breathe yeah uh in terms of be more do more uh you know change improve uh all measure quantify mm-hmm. all of these things um that's that the law is is great for selling things to people hmm. um if you do this right. if you get this product then you will be that that's a that's a that's a law that's the spirit of the law right. is if then do better be better do better be better and i think that uh but in the stories we read um and the stories that touch us and our culture right now is obsessed with long-form stories i mean meaning like uh, serialized television mm-hmm. it you no longer have episodes of tv you have arcs of television and people like they, they constantly are calling it arcs what's this character's arc hmm. what you know what's the beginning middle and end of this character and you know in life our lives don't really work in arcs, but except, but you know, the, the life of Christ certainly did, sure. and uh, it's just a different arc than maybe uh, you would think. So, um, 
I think that we, any, most of the time when you're looking at these stories, uh, any, the moments where we start crying or the moments where we get really jazzed or we really want someone to be punished because of something <laughs> they've... Revenge, mm-hmm. you know, is always some sort of condemnation, uh, dividing line, self-righteousness. Uh, you can see it in a lot of this stuff. I tend to think the climaxes of a lot of great movies and media is has almost always some hint of the gospel mm. because there's only so many ways you can close yeah, something right. and the, uh, there's only so many believable ways people can be redeemed or experience yeah. that and that there's uh, that is resonates with the, that's just the nature of reality is because it's God yeah. created so it it's gonna have there's gonna be some element of grace or someone being forgiven or loved when they least deserved it mm. or uh, you know uh, given a second chance um to prove themselves or some comeback story right. that, uh, you know, all is lost and then all is, you, know, you, you kind of, so it's a little harder to talk about grace without like giving spoiler alerts, <laughs> <laughs> sure. but, uh, the law is there uh, nonstop. It's, yeah. it's the voice of basically it's just everywhere. Cool. As you, as you think more about the law and how you see it, um, Talk about different ways that you're seeing the culture really kind of, kind of, uh, I, I guess, convicting people or, or, or making them feel like they're not enough. Well, the main one that springs to mind is just social media, which, uh, you know, I'm more and more convinced that we're going to look back on it the way we look back on smoking. Uh, just as, really? as, as a well, it's just a public health hazard. I never inhaled, Dave. Just for the record, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe so, but it, it because it is constant, it constant uh, pressure to assert who you think you should be versus who you and and then and then the the reality of of who you actually are. That distance. That's that's the law. You know, that's that's sin. Is that distance? But the law is what who you should be. We believe in a sanctified version of the law, God's law, but um, which is uh, right and holy. But the world has plenty of ideas about who you should be and how what you should weigh and how much money you should make and uh, what you, who your wife should be and how many children you should have and should 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 should. Mm-hmm. And so I think social media um, it creates a vast amount of um, alienation and loneliness and exhaustion and anxiety and a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's. Um, the law. I mean, it, it, it functions as a very, very uh, effective convicting. Um, convicting mechanism with zero grace. So it's almost like a nihilistic version of the law where people are just left being like, I hate myself because I'm so not as my vacation is so pathetic compared to the people that were at Camp right. Arcadia. That's, that is actually true, though. <laughs> I mean, just just to be clear. Um, so, you know, I'm 45, right? And I'm in, I've been told the prime of my career, right? I've got children, you know, middle school age, one going to high school. And, uh, when I was 25, I thought by 45, especially as I'm in, I'm in the same job, I've been in the same job for 20 years. I thought, well, it'd be easy, right? I, I would know what I'm doing, hopefully. You know, I would have more time off, um, and that there's this perception that, you know, I'm living in Pleasantville, right? I'm living <laughs> literally in a Pleasant Valley called Arcadia, that, that things would be easy, right? You'd have jetpacks, too. I'd have jetpacks, <laughs> yes. You know, and that, and that, but 
what I'm finding is is this constant kind of burden of feeling like I'm not enough. I'm not a good enough husband. Good, and that's not my wife saying that. It's just me right. feeling like I never have enough time, you know. And and I I tell us to uh, folks are like, but you live in Arcadia where there's like no one to keep up with. There's there's no big mall next door. I'm like. But mm-hmm. it's like it's in the air. It's in the waters we swim. It's, well, it's in ourselves. Know, it's it, it, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I'm not a good father. You know, all those kind of things. And so, um, you know. Yeah. Someone once said that you know that they when they hear me talk about the law and not enough and all this stuff, they think that you're actually talking about finitude and a, a, a mortality limits. and limits. And you are talking about that, but you're also talking about the condemnation that says you it, that doesn't care about that. That says you still. Um, even as this, fit, you know, uh, limited person, you still need to be more, and uh, that has no. It doesn't pay deference to it. it the two things combine to form a pretty toxic soup, hmm. no matter where people live. Because you know, you you really do go around, and I've gotten to you know tour with this book a little bit, and the places where you think people are enjoying life and sitting on the porches, they're stressed out of their minds. You know, in North Dakota and. Mm-hmm. Um, just as much as there's in you know Chicago or right. uh, New York City, so it's yeah. But is there so? I think we need to make some kind of distinction because there's a there's a salutary aspect to that sense of feeling insufficient or not enough or like I, I you know I screw things up. Right. I mean because that's true of all of us. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So there is a side of it where that's not bad per se yeah um it's it's kind of necessary yeah the answer is not blanket affirmation that and that's where new age folks always go yeah. and the cuts we don't know what you want the oprah isms of the world to go the and i try to make this clear in the book though um in one very real sense we're not enough and like you're not what what the gospel what the bible tells us is you're not crazy yeah for feeling like this and you're not the and also you're not the only one um, and in fact, that your lack of enoughness, your lack of righteousness, your sin is not sort of morally neutral. It has real consequences for yourself, other people, and of course, your relationship with God. Um, and but the the uh, the reason the word enough is useful is because people don't don't think of themselves as like. Well, I'm just not feeling righteous today, or I, 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 less and less do we feel like I transgressed against the, my God and my neighbor. What you think is, I'm not happy enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not. I'm not smart enough. I'm not uh, pretty enough. And in those cases, what you're dealing with is the difference between who you think who you think you should be, and maybe who you actually should be. In mm-hmm. some cases, mm-hmm. maybe there's not the Bible doesn't say anything about your body mass index, but it certainly <laughs> says something about how you should treat your spouse. Mm. And um, pretty sure in Leviticus it does cover that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure your it's, BMI. <laughs> it's in cubits, but it's still so. We can we can address both. Yeah, is what I'm saying. Right. We need we need both of them. So, but from a um, from a, a secular perspective, where all you're getting is being kind of crushed by that call for enoughness, is there any kind of um, like an ersatz grace, a substitute fake grace that people cling to? Uh, absolutely, 
Absolutely, there there are approximations of it because we need it. Like just like yeah, you know, it's the air you breathe, and the the people that you know when you fall in love. Uh, you know, you you don't fall in love because someone approves of how you know awesome you are. You fall in love, or the person you actually marry is almost always the person who get, finally gets to know you mm-hmm. and sticks around mm-hmm. and kind of figures out that you are just as limited, you know, as much of a sinner as they are, and yet loves you still. And that's mm-hmm. that's that's grace, mm-hmm. or that's the closest approximation we mm-hmm. get. Because unlike with God, people have all sorts of strings attached, as we know. But yes, I think a good therapist, a good counselor can be a real great stand-in in this way. But unfortunately, you're paying them. So there's a, there's a con- deep conditionality built into the relationship, even if in practice it feels like they're on your side, mm-hmm. come what may. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there are all sorts of ersatz grace, but I, w- mainly what it takes the form of a kind of a blind affirmation that says, because you were born, you were, uh, uh, you were great mm-hmm. and you're special. And there's some truth to some of that in a limited sense. Right. But the reality is at 3 a.m. in the morning, I think uh, I'm not special. Mm-hmm. I only am thinking of all the ways in which I am uh, in pain or afraid. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I need God to sort of uh, any 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 gospel any any divinity that's going to reach me has got to sort of meet me there. Um, so the affirmations of the world they sell books. <laughs> the law sells books. You know that kind of fake grace. Mm-hmm. You're good enough, strong enough, and gosh darn it, people like you. I mean, <laughs> that versions of that sell move, can move books and can be a partial truth. If th- there are some people that truly were brought up with a completely shame based identity. Mm-hmm where they were um, just nothing, where they were just told that they were just awful and yeah. there was no love in the midst of that. And I think sometimes, you know, we err on the side of, you know, just being nice to those people. But mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of us also are, are, are brought up with too high of an anthropology or we think we're so great and that the world comes along and just crushes us. And when that happens, we think, oh, there's no God or God doesn't love us. Instead of thinking, well, maybe I'm actually coming into what life is actually about and I might actually meet God in the midst of my my, my new knowledge of my limitations. Not that I don't have value and worth because I am a child of God, but because I am supremely compromised in my ability to do the right thing. So theology of the cross stuff. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a difference I guess in in your writing stuff between how men and women experience this? I mean, I know you're only can speak from one side, but I think they're both under an enormous amount of uh, cultural pressure to be perfect mm-hmm. in different ways. I think that the right now, I'd say that the masculine ideal is shrinking in the sense, at least. Well, no, I'm talking about the coasts where I am, but it's like uh, making money and kind of being strong and stoic is still is, is still very much seen as what's okay. But none of the students I'm working with do liberal arts like that they, they've all sort of seeded it's very entrepreneurial focused um go get it it's very career focused i think for women there's more of a sense in which you could do anything like the barriers are being broken down go for it reach for the stars but of course as we know that's its own kind of pressure because what if you just want to be a mom for a little while what if you just want to be a wife what if you what if you um try those things and don't work at them but i i remember you there was a great uh uh, you know, a survey a number of years ago where they pr- 
surveyed a bunch of modern men, and they all said, or the overwhelming majority wanted to have daughters rather than sons, because to grow to to be a man in this world is just so confusing and so um, punishing in a certain way, and to be a, to have a daughter feels exciting. Uh, because they can, you know, you could be the first girl to do this. You can, you can do anything you want. And the guys are just like, you just inherited like a whole hell of a lot of like bad stuff, man. <laughs> and you're gonna have to atone. But of course, you talk to the wi- the women are just as unhappy. The, actually, women are more unhappy today than men, uh, according to the polls. It's just men that commit suicide more because they use more violent means. Mm-hmm. But women attempt it four times more often. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So where where do you see the church? Um, coming into this, because on the one hand, it's like everywhere you look, all the all the polls, all the numbers are telling us that um, faith is on the wane, that you know the pews are emptying out. But I mean, to hear you just describe it there, it sounds like incredible opportunities for the gospel and f- for churches. Is there some kind of disconnect that's happening right there? Where it, on the one hand, it seems like we're so um, in need of some good news and of some mercy, but on the other hand, people are 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 fleeing from from church yeah it's it's confusing to me but it's also makes sense i mean i think that when i read uh, people read charles taylor's secular age you can talk about the the plausibility structures the kind of the, the things that are in the, the the basic presumptions about how people believe what they believe just on a very the unspoken not not the sort of conscious level those have shifted in ways that i think really have done serious damage to the church uh I think the church has sort of been consigned to secular hell uh, for it. So it's not even a place to, I was just reading this insane article, a really interesting article about uh, a, a, some uh, a university in California where they were dealing with huge amounts of loneliness on campus and they're trying to figure out what do we do? How do we help these kids who are so lonely? They're not just asking, how should I live, but why should I live? Mm. And they have now a dean of belonging. <laughs> mm. And they, he just goes through a laundry list of things that they're doing, like, you know, mindfulness classes and uh, artificial intelligence guided, you know, uh, comfort things, safe spaces, uh, coloring books, uh, you know, you name it. And like, the only thing that wasn't on there was God, <laughs> you know? And you want to say, why is that? It's because that's as a scene as hell hmm. in, a, in a certain way. That All that said, I think that the, these are the words of life that hmm. the church has been entrusted with and that there's only, unfortunately, I wish it grew on trees, but it's really only here. And if we can... Um, you know, there's a, you know, I, I just encourage those who are preaching the gospel and that like the, the law is doing its work on people mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit. I think the law, people are coming in heavy laden. Mm-hmm. They are really, there's a deep amount of despair in our world and people are desperate for some hope mm-hmm. and um, to stick it out, to remain, to stand in the gap in, to whatever way we can mm-hmm. and to really focus on the main thing is, is the only thing we can do. And again, I don't think you're going to find grace of God is not going to be found anywhere else but with God. So you can find approximations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we could help, you know, you know, use those, utilize some of the language and, mm-hmm. and talk about how we're going, you know, the Christian gospel addresses everything that we're talking about in head on. Mm-hmm. It's no coincidence that I think mm-hmm. the main themes of the Bible, justification, uh, you know, uh, salvation are, are, exactly where people live Mm -hmm. so i don't know yeah 
I, that, I keep saying I don't know. That, that's my sense of it, at least. Well, right. No, but I think I think you're spot on. I mean, if I could pivot just a little bit, because I'm, I'm curious, when you look around and you see one of the um, the people who's really blown up in the last year is Jordan Peterson, last mm-hmm. couple of years. And uh, I wonder, I mean, you hear his message, and what is it that's so compelling about it for a lot of people, especially young men, when it doesn't seem to be especially um, gospel-oriented, I mean, in, in kind of the broad sense. What do you think um, people are finding so a- appealing or engaging? About Peterson? Yeah. I mean, he's appealing and engaging. I, th- I think his ideas are appealing and engaging. I'm, I'm not, you know, I think that He's Canadian as well. There's some good things, there's that some helps. bad things. Part of it that he's, is that he's not in the church. Again, as I said, the church has been consigned to secular hell. I think right. that that is... He's not there yet. He's not there. He's not... Well, he has in certain elements. He sure. definitely has been consigned to that. Uh, I think he's willing to... Um, he has a sort of a, a cosmology and, a, and, a, and a tools that at least give people some alternative account mm-hmm. of the way things are and why they're this way and why men are like this and women are like this and... Um, and he, of course, he's drawing a lot on biblical texts, um, and there's a lot of psychology. The Jungian stuff is is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then you know, there's a lot of his sort of pull your boots up, Sonny, mm-hmm. pull your pants on, and and that's young men have always uh, uh, responded to that, and um, and I think young women aren't really attracted to young men who are. No, not sure of themselves in any way. I mean, uh, so they like it too. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if there's a long term. Uh, I don't know um, if it's if, how long the appeal will last because uh, the law is still. Um, it can help to name and it can help to clarify and it can uh, to identify the problem. But um, ultimately. If I just need to get my act together, and this is a sort of a glorified way of doing that, right. um, I think you'll find that there'll be a cycle of men that maybe mm-hmm. are looking for something else in about 10 years. Yeah. It's, I think it's going to be interesting just as kind of a case study to see the, both the promise and the inadequacy or insufficiency of, of the law mm-hmm. for bringing about real change in, in people's lives. He's clearly tapped into something, though. Yeah. To... Uh, uh, Pivot again here. Um, uh, um, there is a temptation always with a Christian's interaction with the culture, either to um, um, to uh, hide from it or to you know become uh, separate from it and to avoid it. It's bad to not be of the the world um, versus the engagement in it. You know, so there's, you know, the Benedict option, which is more like, hey, we're a remnant. We're going to hold on to things. We're going to keep things pure here because we can't trust the world, the secular humanism to infect us. So where do you fall on that? Or what are your what are your thoughts on that tension that we have of being of the world, but also being engaged in the world? Probably changes as my kids get older. <laughs> like I, I sort of think, oh, Christians, we should be there, you know, loving people in the midst of not expecting them to change, and you know, being great agents of grace as much as we can, or preachers of the gospel in these um, corners of real is not is not is behind any aggressive secularism. There's a whole lot of hurt hmm. and a whole lot of pain and a bit feelings of betrayal from God or from the church. And to be there doing ministry. That said, as my kids get older, and <laughs> some of that, some of those agendas f- seem to be louder and maybe um, 
even more merciless than usual. I I can understand the desire to just I just want to move to Camp Arcadia, you know, and just like hang out. There's room. Um, so I mean, in my heart of hearts, I feel like, you know, I have to. I probably punt back to the law, but I just don't think Jesus really. Um, he engaged and retreated, engaged and retreated, engaged and retreated, and mm-hmm. maybe there's some wisdom in that. Not an either or. It's not an either or. And uh, but it's it's also, I think we do ourselves a disservice because I'm in the Episcopal Church and a lot of that's they want to play nice with the culture all the time and they think that the culture will be will be more or like the the kind of certain institutions or media or whatever you have it will be more amenable to like a different version of God you know slightly more muted or less with less teeth but I think if you drill down into the really ag- aggressive strands of it, they don't they don't like God at all. It doesn't matter if it's liberal or conservative. It's just, don't talk to me, don't tell me I'm not the mm-hmm. author of my own life. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, it, sometimes like when things get worse is right before they get better. So, <laughs> I think that's pretty clear, in fact. But, uh, you know, as, as I'm also a, a parent of kids, one of the things that, keeps striking me is that if I want to help my kids and help myself to really live by grace in this culture that's so performancist, I can use that word, um, you know, so oriented toward finding your identity and your value and what you're doing. I mean, kind of paradoxically, it seems like it takes work if you really want to live by grace and especially, you know, inculcate your, your family, you know, in, in grace. I mean, you talk a little bit about what, you know, what are some of the, the ways or just approaches that you have just to ensure that grace has the, the last word in your life? Sure, some grace in practice. Grace. <laughs> I wish somebody would write a book. Yeah. I, that, that's a great title. I know someone should do that. Yeah. Funny guys. Um, it's, uh, that's a tough one. I think that it changes for different kids and different families. I mean, I know that for me it's important to go to church. Um, thank you. And uh, yeah, I mean, I like, I like like once a month or what? Like every every weekend? Everything in moderation. We church. have a church that does not stress. You know, it doesn't say you need to come all the time. It doesn't. It doesn't even stress community as that being that important. It stresses the gospel, um, and the forgiveness of sins. And yet, it creates this amazing community. And I find that um, I'm really helped by being present. You know, the liturgy, all these things. So that's kind of like I I, I fall back on that kind of churchy answer. <laughs> but I think. Uh, that said, if you're going to a church that's preaching straight moralism and or culture war stuff or um, or just retreat, then I don't know that how good that is for the soul. Um, when it comes to kids, I mean, I try to be a gracious dad with them, but that doesn't that of course and of course, without the law, there is no grace. You know, mm. so that means f- figuring out being a. a it's the hardest thing in the world, but when is when is it time to bring the law and when is it time to bring mm-hmm. the gospel? And mm-hmm. my parents were somehow, um, we went to church every week. They're strong believers, and we were given a picture of a gracious God, mm-hmm. partly because our parents sort of gave us a long tether mm-hmm. um, while also, you know, we went to church. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, I don't really know. I mean, I... The thing that's confusing me right now is the way that adolescents get, you know, I think maybe Lutherans have a better sense of this because Episcopalians just sort of just bail on that 
time of life completely. You know, the sort of evangelicals, Baptists, they, they go crazy during those years. And, and when God gets so mixed up with um, sex and drinking, mm-hmm. which it does for many American teenagers, mm-hmm. you end up giving them nothing that will last beyond them mm-hmm. basically getting married and turning 21. <laughs> and so how do you deal with kids in adolescence when they're going to internalize uh, a picture of God and a God concept um, in a way that doesn't that protects them still from the real dangers of you know the, the indulgence that we you know we all know mm-hmm. recognizing that there will be tons of other voices in their life saying you know teen pregnancy and DUIs are not good but there will be no one saying that God mm. loves you I- even mm. God loves sinners. Mm -hmm. So I don't know the answer to that question because I know that as a I was a youth minister for a long time and my my whole philosophy of youth ministry was simply to hang in there with kids and to kind of keep it keep it up and really not emphasize do my best not to emphasize stuff that would expire when they Mm -hmm. got married or turned 21. So um, but again I don't know if there's been a deeper success rate to that than other things. Yeah, um, I, you know, I think um, uh, years ago I, I read a book, Sticky Faith, and Kara uh, Powell, that's what she kind of started her book about, was how kids were so focused on sex and drugs, and, and the view of God was like, well, I'm no longer welcome here. Mm-hmm. And so they, and, you know, it's, it's kind of a common story. They leave the church during maybe college or post-college and they find it when they get married or have kids right well as people take longer and longer to get married and have children or not have uh, uh, children it seems like that that coming back to the church thing is no longer like a given it's sort of like well i mean we got soccer on sunday morning or or we this is my only day off this is a chance for us to kick it back i mean i find some of my it's almost hard to have a conversation with people that i grew up with that were went to a lutheran school lutheran college whatever and then now faith going to church is not part of their life and there's lots of excuses well i don't like the church this or anything but i'm like well you know i and i just kind of throw up my hands I'm like just go to church like come on man it's not that hard you know it doesn't have to be some super neurotic uh, you know every you approve of absolutely everything or it's, it's great right. you have to be there every single week but i generally think that you know you can point to all the studies that say if you're in, in touch with other people who are not just your family you know multiple times a week you're going to be a happier person hmm. and that's not a reason to come to church because that's that's a, that's basically promising them some kind of like better life right when you know the the thrust of the new testament is that the slings and arrows yes, <laughs> get worse it's probably going to get worse actually <laughs> but um <laughs> i do think uh I do think a good church can be really wonderful in a person's life, but see, for me, I was, I was, we were, we were living abroad during the years of the adolescence where I could have, that could have taken that more on board. And let's not blame the churches entirely. A, a, if you know thirteen and fourteen year olds, they're dying for something to rebel against or something to conform, right, conform right. with. True, and they're dying for you to tell them what to do. They force you into it oftentimes. Mm-hmm. If you, any youth minister knows, they will push the boundaries until mm-hmm. you bring the heat. <laughs> and so as part of it's just like the human propensity and the incurvatus and say, and you mm-hmm. just want to say, Lord, have mercy, mm. have mercy on these kids <laughs> and have mercy on me. Um, mm. So I don't know. I, I, I just, my hope is always that the church is the 
is can be can can they can remember something that it could be a place where they run to when they've screwed up rather than the place they run from. Hmm. Cool. Um, Dave, we Chip and I are both uh, big fans of uh, your ministry, Mockingbird, but maybe a lot of our hearers aren't familiar with it. Can you take just a minute and tell us a little bit about Mockingbird and what you're aiming to do with that? Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. You're welcome. Um, Mockingbird is a sort of it's a ministry that we started. It's an organization that really seeks to um, to tie, connect, uh, integrate the message of God's grace with all aspects of everyday life. And we do that, um, you know, at, it, it kind of functions as a media platform. So there's a very active website, uh, an, a, a mobile app. There's mm. podcasts like this. There's conferences. We have a print magazine. Um, we, you know, we publish books. There's lots of material Mm-hmm. out there and we've just been doing it for almost 13 years now and so people if they want to check out our website it's www.mbird.com that's m-b-i-r-d.com um why is it called them mockingbird well it's it's because a mockingbird repeats the song it's heard and we believe that you repeat the, the gospel um mm-hmm. like you know and it's a lutheran very much in that <laughs> sense that we you you never graduate Mm-hmm. from needing to hear the message, the message of God's forgiveness mm-hmm. and grace and the law and gospel. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so we do that. We, we've got, uh, we're, we have a very a podcast called The Mockingcast mm-hmm. that you can find on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a new book out called Seculosity. Mm-hmm. We also have a book called Law and Gospel, Theology for Sinners and Saints. Mm-hmm. We do conferences. We do uh, one in New York next year in April. Um, but in the midst of all these works, you're not justified. <laughs> you can understand why this message means so much to me. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, I'm trying to do. We, we all much. need it. We, yeah, all, we need all need it. it. All right. Our last question, uh, Dave. Uh, tell us some of the things that you're reading uh, that are inspiring you. You find interesting. Uh, what am I reading right now? Or I, listening to, or or listening to, um, needle pointing, whatever it might be. <laughs> I'm um, really, I, I just, I'm, I'm in the midst of reading this book that I'd heard about for years, or it came out in 2007 called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which is a book about English magic, and kind of a fantasy book written by a woman named Susanna Clark. They made a PBS series out of it. Hmm. Um, and Alan Jacobs, who's someone I think very highly of, he's a Christian thinker and writer, and he just, he's talking basically about the re-enchantment of the world, mm-hmm. and it actually is a fictionalized version of a lot of what we're talking about. Um but it's very, it's very clever with a deep mythology. Hmm. That's something I've been reading. Um, I'm looking forward to Mark Sayer's new book, Reappearing Church, which I think hmm. is, is addresses some of what we've been talking about. Um, He's an Australian theologian, right? I think so. Right. I don't really know. I mean, I've never heard his podcast, but I yeah, just keep... This Cultural Moment is his uh, oh, okay. This podcast. Cultural Moment. Yep. I hear good things about... Yep. Um, you know, I'm very excited about. There's a replacements d- a box set that's coming out soon. <laughs> I love the replacements. Uh, so that's coming out in September, and um, uh, I'm trying to think of what uh, uh, sort of television I've watched. I, f- I feel like I've, I'm I'm at loose ends right now, hmm. television wise. I've been told that there's some things that I, uh, there's nothing I can really recommend that um. there is way too much out there honestly it's it's oppressive to know all the things you could be watching right 
<laughs> binging on. You know what I mean? It's right. crazy. Like yeah. I feel like I'm not. I have, to, I have to watch the season three of Stranger Things still. Right. You know? Wait, you haven't watched that yet? Yeah, I know. Oh, I mean, I greatly enjoyed that. That I'm was a horrible fun. person. I know. I need to get on that. <laughs> you know. David, it's been such a joy visiting with you. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Campfire Conversations. Make sure to subscribe to hear future episodes. Visit camp-arcadia.com for more information or find us on Facebook. We'll see you back at the campfire.